to see all of you here this morning. Glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. Do I uh, want to invite you to grab your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1. We'll be reading 1 verse 8 all the way to 2 verse 1 uh, this morning. And as you are turning there, uh, let me just remind you that uh, we are continuing in a series of sermons called Blessed Assurance, or Blessed Assurance, like we sang just a few moments ago, the song right before the song, before the lesson. And John's epistle is a letter of assurance. It's intended to communicate to the faithful, to Christians, that you can know that you have eternal life. I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. 5 verse 13 says. And so, can we know that we have eternal life? John says we can. But what is that knowledge rooted in? It is ultimately rooted in our fellowship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That fellowship is rooted in the completed work of Christ that he accomplished on the cross by shedding his blood so we can have the forgiveness of all of our sins. The wrath of God for our sins has been turned away from us and Christ has received it fully. It has been exhausted in Christ on the cross. We have the assurance that when we go to the baptistry, that what is happening there is something spiritual. Even the forgiveness of our sins by the blood of Jesus. But what happens after that? You know, I, I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. We read about that last week in verse 7. But I sin. I fall short. Now what? Begin in verse 8 of 1 John chapter 1. Hear now the word of the true and living God. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us, my little children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Let us pray. Father, open our hearts and open our minds to see the glorious work that you are doing by your Spirit within us. The glorious work accomplished for us by our Lord Jesus Christ. May we be people who, as we live life with you, seek to acknowledge our sins before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Suppose I were to give you a piece of cloth that is a yard wide, and a mile long. 
And then I gave you a ruler, a one-foot ruler, 12 inches. And I told you, I want you to lay down this ruler, cut off a foot at a time, all 5,280 feet of this bolt of fabric here. And I want to see your last 10 cuts. <laughs> the reality is we're, we're, we're going to do our best, right, to lay down that standard and make our cut as evenly as we can, right? But chances are there will be bad cuts. There will be some near misses. Some may be a little too short, some may be a little too long. And then maybe we do get down to those last few cuts. Do you have enough fabric to finish up? You see, the thing is, if, if, if this whole venture we call Christianity is dependent upon your performance, my performance, our performance, we know we're sunk. Our good deeds are nothing more than filthy rags. Scripture says. And God, he judges by the standard. But here's the thing. To walk in the light as he is in the light is a walk that acknowledges the standard. That you are, yes, doing your dead level best to make cuts according to the standard of God. What God will not stand for is if you say, I don't need this and I'm going to just eyeball this thing. Cut, cut, right? God will not abide that. That is not a walk that's in the light. A walk in the light acknowledges the standard and is doing your dead level best to make those cuts. And for those nicks and those near misses and those cuts that are too long and too short, those are covered by the blood. And we acknowledge, God, I have done my best to, to live according to your standard, but I know I've fallen short. I know I've made bad cuts. The blood of Jesus actually ensures every cut is perfect. It's because it is ultimately dependent upon his obedience to the perfect standard of God. Every cut he made, made was perfect. There were no near misses, no uh, cuts that were too short or too long. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And it is because we are dependent upon him and his completed work, both in his perfect sinless life and his work accomplished on the cross and making atonement for us by shedding his blood, that we have continuous, uninterrupted fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No, every sin does not break fellowship with God. There are some, as we talked about, who say that walk in the light, that must be a sinless walk. But we've already challenged that by showing if it's a sinless walk, why do you need the blood of Jesus continually cleansing you of your sins? And then there's verse 8, which we read, if we say we have no sin, we must admit that we are sinners. We must confess before God Almighty, before the God who is light, who is absolute moral perfection, we have sin. If we say we have no sin, what happens? Number one, you are self-deceived. We deceive ourselves. Notice 
John is including himself in this. He acknowledges, I'm right there with you. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, no less than five times by my count, he includes himself with these fellow Christians and as a fellow sinner. We deceive ourselves. This is self-deception. Who's he combating here? And that's, you know, I, the, the sermon title is Liar, Liar. We could as easily have called it Two Lies, One Truth. Because the first lie is here in verse 8, where apparently there were those running around in John's day who were saying, no, I, I am keeping the law perfectly. There is no sin in me what, whatsoever. This uh, may be the legalist, maybe a, a pharisaical attitude. The same legalistic mindset, by the way, hasn't gone away. There are those who may think that they are keeping the law of God perfectly. But that is self-deception. You are lying to yourself. You can't do it. Furthermore, the truth is not in us. The truth isn't in you. The truth, which is the standard of God. You know why the truth isn't in you? It's because you've thrown out God's standard. You're a standard to yourself. You are autonomous. You are a law unto yourself. You got the wrong standard, by the way. And again, this, this challenges those who would say that a walk in the light is a sinless walk. It can't be. We know ourselves. We know that we give in to temptation more often than we like to admit. We know we do battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that we come up short far more often than we like to admit about that too. And we also know that we must say, with the Apostle John, we, we have sinned. That's the first lie. The truth comes in between the two lies here. And the truth is, if we confess our sins, again, here's John admitting, he's a fellow sinner, our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He here is God. Probably uh, God the Father is what's in view here, primarily. Faithful and just to forgive our sins. What is it that God forgives our sins with? We've already seen verse 7. He cleanses us, forgives us of all of our sins by the blood of Jesus. That's what's in view here again. It is forgiveness by the blood of Jesus. And to cleanse us, it's the cleansing again of the blood of Christ, of all unrighteousness. Confession here, uh, the word that's used here is, uh, it is homo logeo in the original language. Homo, the same, we recognize that, right? Logeo uh, has to do with speaking, a word. And so John is saying, that we must speak the same word about our sins as God says about our sins. <coughs> Excuse me. And what is it God says about sin? It's utterly sinful. That it is breaking his law. That it is going against his will. That it is treasonous rebellion against the sov cosmic sovereign ruler of the universe. That's what sin is. And we confess it. The confession here... Also, if you explore this word in, say, John's gospel, he uses it a number of places in his gospel to talk about a public thing, a public confession. 
uh, a public declaration. And that may be what's in view here as well. You know, part of what we do when the invitation is offered, people come forward, and, and sometimes, yes, we, we need to confess our sins before our brothers and our sisters. It's a public thing. And so that, that certainly may be in view here. But also, this is something that can be accomplished in private, where we confess our sins to God. And we acknowledge before God that we have come up short of the standard. We've made a bad cut. We've gone too far. We've come up short. We've gone to the left or to the right of what God has commanded that we do. We've missed the target. There may be a temptation here. We, we, see, we read, if we confess our sins, does that mean we have to confess all of our sins, every last one of them? If that's what was required, it would mean that we must be omniscient. Because you know, just as I do, there are things that I've come up short. I, what do we call those? The, the sins of omission, right? There are things that we do we may not even realize. We have violated the will of God. I think we ought to pray, God, show me where I'm coming up short. That's part of the sanctification process, where we, we are, maybe after a number of years of being a Christian, has this ever happened to you, where you've been studying God's word, or you know, maybe you've heard a Bible lesson, and, ooh, I've read, I know I've read that, but now it hits you. And now you realize, oh, I've, ooh, I've been doing that for years. And now there's something that I have to abandon, Right? That's a good thing, and that's part of the sanctification process. But will we be perfect in this life? No. No, perfection comes in glorification. And in the meantime, we, we sin. We come up short. And so it's not that we have to confess every last one of them, and, and the only one who knows them perfectly, by the way, is God. And it's not that we have to make him aware like he's sitting up there going, oh, I didn't even, hey, good catch, you know. <laughs> I guess I'll forgive that, you know. We've already seen the blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us. It, it, the sin never touches the record. And so part of confession, number one, it, it, it's an acknowledgement of the standard. That you, God, you are holy, you are light. And I, I've come up short. I've, I've fallen short of the glory of God. I have sinned. It admits deviation. You have said to do this, and I didn't do that. Or you said not to do this, and I did that. This is, here's, here's Paul in Romans 7, right? The good that I want to do, I don't do, and the bad that I don't want to do, that's what I do. Paul, he knows the struggle, and we're right there with him. And so it, it's an admission of deviation. I've come up short. It pleads for help. And, yes, for forgiveness. Yes, God, forgive me and, and help me to overcome this. This is sin, and I know you hate it, and I know you don't want me to do it. God, help me to abandon this sin. And by the way, we already know, he says to us, forgive and keep walking. And, and, and he's of such a mind that even though he's omniscient, he's a God who, by the blood of Christ, he remembers our sin no more. I don't think we've talked about this. Keep walking with me. And then, and this is where I think we come up short sometimes, brothers and sisters. You ready? We need to express gratitude. We need to thank God. Thank you, Father, that through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have forgiven me of this. And you've forgiven me of all of my sin. It's all gone. 
It, hasn't t- it doesn't touch the record book. The book of my life is soaked in the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you that you are helping me by your Spirit to overcome these sins. He is faithful. The faithfulness is a key characteristic of God. He never lets us down. Even when we are faithless, He is faithful. He is faithful, and, and that means that He's a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And he is, He's made so many promises and kept so many promises. By the way, all of the promises He's made, He's kept all of them. He's worthy of our trust. He is faithful. Brothers and sisters, He has forgiven you of all of your sins. Keep walking with Him. And He's also just. Uh, righteous. According to the truth of His Word. This is uh, speaking to the nature of God. He's just. He's righteous. How can He be just when He's over here forgiving us of our sins? I mean, think about it. I've committed cosmic treason and rebellion against the cosmic sovereign ruler of the universe. How can he be just in justifying the ungodly? Well, the, the answer is in the text. And to cleanse me of all of my unrighteousness, right? The answer is in the text. It's because of Jesus. Because he shed his blood on the cross. He took all of our sins on the cross. It's because he is our advocate with the Father. Ooh, advocate. The word there, advocate, in the original, uh, original language is uh, paraclete. It, it literally means to call one alongside yourself, para, like a, like a, uh, uh, around something, right? Or, or, or a, a close, call it to close to you, right? Alongside, um, like parallel lines, there it is, parallel lines, right? Uh, and then kaleo, that has to do with calling along, right? So you call along. Now, typically in John's writings, in, in, in the gospel in particular, this term, advocate, is also translated helper or comforter, and it's connected to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. And, and he's the helper in helping us to live life before God. Here, it's used in connection with Jesus. You realize you have double help. <laughs> You have more than abundant help. Christ is the one that we can call alongside, that when we have sinned, we need him to come alongside. See, that's the thing. This is the picture, right? The the picture is you stand in the high court of heaven before the judge, and, and, and you are standing there, and the prosecuting attorney is the devil himself. And you have sinned, and he is bringing that sin before the judge. And he is saying, not just the action. You understand that that sin is more than just the action. Often it's that that stuff that's right down inside of our hearts. It's that twisted stuff. The, The biblical word for this is iniquity. It's that twisted root of sin that gives birth to the action. And the devil is saying, he not only, she not only did this action, but notice the heart that comes that heart that is, uh, that, that is uh, uh, inclined away from God, the flesh, right? It's, it's worse than you could have imagined. And as you stand in the high court of heaven before a holy judge who is light, you know you're sunk and despair threatens. 
to overcome you? What makes it right? Well, first, the judge is your father. And you're his child. And, and your, your attorney is your advocate. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Who's your brother? Your elder brother? And the one who takes the stand as a character witness is your helper, the Holy Spirit. God has conspired to your advantage that when the devil brings a charge overruled and God throws out the case, your case, and he pleads, Christ pleads his case, his perfect sinless case. Are you getting just how good the good news is, brothers and sisters? And it's why, verse 10, the second lie, we must never say that we have not sinned. And this is what's, uh, what's very interesting here. The way this is written in the original language, the person who is saying this is, it's, it's a perfect tense verb, past completed action with present continuing result. Uh, the, the force of this is the person who's saying, not only have I not sinned in the past, I, I've never sinned. Hmm. Who would be the, well, yeah, who would be that foolish, but who would be the one in John's day who'd be running around saying this? I believe it would be, uh, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about all the isms in John's day, and uh, some of those isms haven't gone away. They're not wasms yet, right? They're still isms today. And one of those was Gnosticism. I believe it would be the Gnostic, and, and the early roots of this, you wouldn't get full-blown Gnosticism until the second century, but there were early roots. Paul talked about so-called knowledge in his day. And that's what the Gnostics were about, were this, this special knowledge they had received based on this ethereal experience with the divine aeons, the divine beings. And they had this special knowledge, and good news is you can come to me and I'll share my knowledge with you. One of the things that uh, apparently there were some early roots of this were uh, the, the early roots of the Gnostics uh, who would divide the body from the soul. And while you might sin sins in your body, those physical sins don't touch your spiritual soul. That's the division. And so, yes, I may be walking in darkness. My body is all tied up in this darkness. But my soul, my soul is good. My sins aren't touching my soul. And so here is John saying, if that's what you're saying, number one, you make him a liar. Make God a liar. I appreciated the reading earlier. Did you catch? Let God be true, though every man a liar? You know what that means, don't you? It means God has spoken, and He has spoken clearly, and He has uh, revealed perfectly what His will is. And if He says, This is sin, but then you come along and you say, No, that I don't, that's not sin. And, and we can even go further, right? You can start gathering around maybe some, some other friends and, and like-minded folk to come around and, and maybe they agree with you. No, 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 that's, that's not sin. That's not sin. And you can even get uh, committees formed and, and maybe you're holding entire seminars and conferences and, and, and coming around and, oh no, that's not sin. And you all agree, that's not sin. And and, and even if you get a majority of the people, even if you uh, convince uh, an overwhelming number of people, that's not sin. Let God be true, though every man a liar. You are all liars. God's word is truth. 
and he has clearly revealed his truth. And when God says something is sin, just because we come on the scene and say, no, it's not, doesn't make us right. Let God be true to every man a liar. And here's John saying, you make him a liar. It's not that he is a liar. You've so deceived yourself into thinking that, no, there's, there's no sin here, that you, as it were, make him a liar. And what that means is you have lost your opportunity for forgiveness. You've abandoned all hope. His word, not in you. No room for his word. Again, it happened in John's day. It still happened in our day, brothers and sisters. You know it. We see it around us. And so here's John, and he's, he's very pastoral. My little children. We know based on 2nd, 3rd John, he's an elder. He's a, a leader in the Lord's church. He's a shepherd in the Lord's church. Modeling his pastoral work after the model of the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. My little children, this is a term of endearment. He says, look, I'm, I'm writing all of this to you. What, what things? Well, uh, these things would be everything he's writing about the blood of Jesus, cleansing us of all of our sins, and the faithfulness and, and justice of God to cleanse, forgive us our sins and, and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And he is saying, listen, don't get it twisted. Just because you have this complete forgiveness from God does not give you a license to sin. Jude writes about those who are perverting the grace of God into a license for sin. Paul confronted it in his day too in Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And John is saying, don't you get it? The highest motivation for pure, holy, clean living in this world is what God has done and accomplished in Christ Jesus. I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. Now, John will deal with the practice of sin, the habitual practice of sin, as we get deeper into this epistle. Chapter 3 in particular is really going to pop when we get there. But here, he seems to have in mind the act of sin. That as you live life with God, part of the sanctification process, uh, the, part, the, the, the part of the process of becoming more and more holy is that you learn to sin less. One writer put it this way, it is clear the Apostle John is not simply exhorting the readers not to be habitual or repetitive sinners, as if to imply that occasional acts of sin would be acceptable. It's not. Those occasional acts of sin are still offensive to God. The purpose of the author here is that the readers not sin at all, just as Jesus told the man he healed in John 5, verse 14, sin no more. The grace of God and the blood of Jesus are not reasons for disobedience and rebellion. They're not excuses for sin. But rather, if we truly understand the grace of God, the blood of Jesus, the redemption accomplished at Calvary, that that becomes the highest motivation for pure, holy living in this world. That that is the motivation for us. 
to live upright and godly lives in this present age. But if any do, anyone does sin, and here's the truth, and it circles back to what we've already seen in verse 9, also verse 7, this is all connected. These are beautiful links in a single chain, as it were. But if anyone does sin, again, John knows. He's, he knows that we're human, that we battle the world, the flesh, the devil. He knows all this. He knows that, yes, unfortunately, we give in to temptation, and there are those occasions when we sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, to the praise and glory of God the Father. He's the one we call alongside. Indeed, he's right there with us. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And he's the reason we can stand before the cosmic sovereign ruler, the judge, and be declared not guilty. He's the reason that we can draw near to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. And he's the one who, with the Father, has sent the Holy Helper, the other advocate, the other uh, comforter, the other paraclete, to come and dwell in us and help us as we live life in this world. Again, the gospel is more beautiful than we could have imagined. What God has done in Christ Jesus, what he's doing by his spirit within us, breathtaking. And so, recognizing and acknowledging what God has done and is doing in our lives, I exhort us, brothers and sisters, let us aim to live holy and pure lives before God Almighty. Let us pray. The depths of your mercy, your love, your grace are, are, are astounding. They are immeasurable and there is no way we can plumb them completely in this life. God, help us. Help us to put away sin in our lives, to hate sin with a holy hatred. Help us, Father, to continue to better understand the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus and enable us to give thanks for that. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, now and forever and to the day of eternity, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.